Well, good morning again. So we are finally off Ephesians, starting a new sermon series, and we are going to be in the book of Habakkuk. Go ahead, say it, Habakkuk. In my opinion, the most fun Bible name to say in the entire book, Habakkuk. And a great test to see if people actually know their Bibles, because the most times you say, go to the book of Habakkuk, they're like, is this a test? There's not really a book called Habakkuk, is there? Right? So uh, we're going to be in the book of Habakkuk. And um, while you're flipping there, a couple things. One, if you don't have a Bible, there's a Bible in the pew in front of you. Feel free to grab those. If you don't own a Bible, that's our gift to you. You take that Bible home with you. You, you read that. You use that. You learn it. All right? Uh, second, if you didn't bring a Bible today, bring Bibles. Bring Bibles, guys. This is your sword. This is the sword that we wield of truth that God has given us that should be your friend, it should be your companion, you should be an expert at wielding it. Now, the book of Habakkuk is an interesting book. Um, and first off, let, let, me just, let me just say a couple things. One, church family, great job this week. Great job this week. It was a tough week. We had some different things happening, and you guys, as always, stood up and showed love. You showed compassion, and everybody stepped up. Whether it was bringing food, whether it was serving, whether it was praying, whether it was hospital visits, you, you guys just showed your hearts as you always do, and I love that. Uh, second, congratulations to Joe and Ava, and really to Ava. She somehow has been married to Joe for 57 years. 57. I've only dealt with Joe for like three years, and my goodness. Just kidding. Brother Joe, you are a blessing to us. Ava, you're a blessing to us. Congratulations. Thank you for being an example of, of love. Uh, we're so blessed to have you guys as part of Harmony. Um, Habakkuk is a great book. And Habakkuk is a great book not just because the author is God, but it talks to being real. It's one of those books that just hits you kind of where you're at and you go like, yeah, I've been there. I've been there. I felt that. I understand that. It's speaking to my gut. And so in Habakkuk, let me give you a little bit of historical background that tells you what Habakkuk is going through. As you study the, the, the nation of Israel, it's a roller coaster. They have these ups and downs in their moments with God, which very much kind of reminds you of people in general. Right? Sometimes we have these moments where we're so close to God, we're so near to God, we feel like we can hear Him whispering to us and talking to us, and He's right there. And then sometimes there are those moments where you've just kind of gotten lazy, and it feels like He's far away. In fact, sometimes I feel like it could be screaming at him and he's just not there. Well, Israel is that same way with God. They'll go to him, they'll have success, they get successful, they start thinking, hey, we're pretty awesome. God, you can kind of take this day off. They slowly get away from him and then they pull back. It's this up and down. And so where we're at in Habakkuk is, is Israel is at one of its lowest points. The nation has split into two. They have both gone into paganism. They no longer fully worship Yahweh God. They have fallen prey. They're no longer the powerful nation they were. They're no longer the faithful nation they were. But, right before Habakkuk, a king rises named Josiah. And what Josiah does is he starts to bring the people back to God. He, he starts to bring a revival back to the nation of Israel. And those that love God get excited. Like, man, we have been in some dark times, we have felt pain, we have been away from God, and now we have a leader, and he's bringing us back to God. We're reading his word, we're cherishing his word, we're worshiping him, they're excited. Because it feels like out of that darkness, they've now walked into light. 
But in the midst of this revival that happens, Josiah the king in battle dies. And the king that replaces him does not follow God like he did. In fact, goes right back to the same paganism and occult worship that was plaguing the country before. And so from Habakkuk's perspective, what you're going to hear from him is this, this angst and this anger and this upsetness because he's like, why? Why, why God? Why are we, why? I mean, it was almost better that we just didn't even have a revival. Why would you even bring him here? You gave me hope. You, you made me get joyful. You made me think we were turning a corner. And then you do what? You just pull it out from underneath us. And so what's interesting about Habakkuk is, as well, most prophets are actually messengers of God, getting a message from God, speaking to the people. In Habakkuk, it's him speaking on behalf of the people to God. And what you're going to hear a lot of it is questions. What you're going to hear is a lot of uncertainty. What you're going to hear is somebody who's struggling to understand what's going on. And to be honest, where I think this is so beautiful is, that's real life. I'll tell you, to be truthful, the thing I get scared about most for church folks is that we get good at faking it. Is that we learn the right church things to say, we learn the right church answers, we learn what I'm supposed to say, supposed to do, supposed to look like. And then that we come to church and we just pretend. And to be honest, it's, it's funny, it, it used to be a church thing, it's kind of a country thing now. It's the Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat world where, man, I'm going to make it look in my post and those 140 characters like life is wonderful. But meanwhile, anybody who actually knows me knows my life is a wreck. But I can make it look good. I can make it look good in real small segments. And what I want us to be as a church is not a group of people that comes together and looks great on Sundays, says the right thing, smiles, looks great, and then we're a wreck for the other six days of the week. I want this to be an honest group of people that comes together and goes, look, we know what we are. If you're a visitor, welcome to an addiction center for sinners. That's what we are. We are all messed up sinners. We have discovered beautifully, though, that God loves sinners. So much so, He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. And through Him, He offers forgiveness of those sins and an opportunity to live life newly. And not only do we get forgiveness, but we get the opportunity to be the body of Christ. So this once messed up group of people now gets the chance to be holy and to be righteous and to build God's kingdom. But we should never forget, room full of sinners. Room full of sinners, and we're all going to struggle. We're all going to fail. We're all going to have these moments. But the moment we come here and we're like, no, I just want to look pretty, we got problems. And so what we're going to see in Habakkuk is this call to be real. To be real. To acknowledge where you're at. To acknowledge what's happening in your life. To acknowledge what you're struggling with. And so as we look at this, there's one verse I kind of call the key to the series. And it's not from Habakkuk, but it's a, it's a verse that gives us the proper perspective on how we're to think about being Christians. Because here's the reality of being a Christian. God will not give you every answer. In fact, He doesn't give you a lot of answers. What He gives you is enough. He gives you enough answers that you know that your faith is not blind, that you know that you can trust Him, that you know that He loves you, and that you know He's in control. But He is never going to give you the roadmap with everything solved. 
And so as a people of faith, we have to understand that there is a huge element of trust. A huge element where sometimes I'm just doing what dad asks because it's dad who asked. I don't get it. I don't understand it. I may not even like it. But what I know is he's a good father and he has been with me throughout it all. He has loved me and he has earned the right for me to trust him even when I don't get it. That's what Habakkuk explores. One of my favorite verses in regards to this is Isaiah 55, verses 8 through 9. And it says this, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and your thoughts, and my thoughts than your thoughts. What's God's point? I don't think like you, I don't act like you, I don't play the same game that you do. To me, the analogy of he's playing chess, we're playing checkers. God is moving and working and doing things that have an eternal perspective. They have the ability to see through men's facades and see the soul and what's truly necessary. We do not. You and I can't see those things. We don't know those things. We don't understand those things. And so as his disciples, what we have to understand is there are going to be moments where the plan just doesn't make sense. Why? Because we don't get it. It's like I've, I've told you before, like my son now is starting to have all these questions about just normal things that he used to take for granted. And what's funny is he asks these is sometimes it's just so hard to explain. So dad, you love us more than work, right? Yes, I do. So why do you spend more time at work than you do at home? That's a really good question. <laughs> let, me, let me break that one down there for you, son. And, and what I found is he kind of gets it, but not really. And what's funny is even as I'm explaining, I'm like, yeah, this is kind of messed up, isn't it? doesn't really make sense. <laughs> this week with the funeral, he had questions for me. So, so she went to heaven. That's awesome. Did God tell her that she was going to heaven right now? Kind of. How did he tell her? Did, did, he, did he tell her, like, now's the time? And, like, was there, like, a big party? Kind of. Well, why are people sad? Because even though we know she's in heaven, we, we still hurt? There's all these real questions and you're just like, man, life gets hard. And so where we have to understand this sometimes is I got to go sometimes. I, I don't know how it works. That's okay. Dad's got it though. Dad's got it and I got trust in that. And so that's what we're going to really see us pulled back to in Habakkuk is understanding God's ways are not our ways. They're higher, they're purer, and they're more powerful. So let's look at Habakkuk. Look at Habakkuk chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. It says, The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. Verse 2. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help, and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence, and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity, and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed, and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. Do you hear that prayer? Is that a happy prayer? No, that's an angry prayer. That is the prayer of God, where are you? Wake up. Are you not paying attention? Do you not see what's happening? Do you not see what's going on with your people who love you? 
I'll be honest, I love prayers like this. And here's why I love prayers like this. The emotion in them may be slightly off. Like if we really had proper perspective, we might be able to realize like probably shouldn't be that angry with God. If I really knew everything God was doing for me, if I really understood the work that was being done to protect me and shelter me and watch out for me, there's no way I could really come at him angry. And so, in, in one way, an intellectual way, it's wrong. But in a real-life emotional way, it's so right. Every single one of us who has walked with God for a duration of time knows that feeling. And my goodness, just look at our country. It's amazing to me how, how things written thousands of years ago, I, I read that and I'm like, you could have written that today. You look at our country like, what is going on? are you, God? We got hurricanes, we got people dying, we got strife, we got racial tension, we have this divided... What is going on? Where are you? Why are you letting things go off the rails? And that's Habakkuk's cry. And so what I love about this is passages like this to me have always screamed two things. The first is, be real. It's a funny thing that we sometimes think we can fake out God. Like, have you ever done this? I've done this. Have you ever not prayed to God about a topic because you didn't want to know his answer on it? But he's God, so he knows you thought that. Right? Like, I can't get up to heaven and be like, oh, I didn't pray about that, God, so I I didn't really know what you wanted. He goes, yeah, you didn't pray about it because you didn't want to know what I thought, and I heard you think that. (laughs) That's true. You did hear that. Okay, so never mind. That didn't work. I kind of remember as a kid, like, sometimes you just didn't ask permission from mom and dad so you could plead ignorance. It can work with parents. It doesn't work with the Lord. It doesn't work with Him. He is the one that handcrafted you. He knows every hair on your head. He knows every thought that you have, every dream that you have, every fear that you have, every intention that you have. So you trying to fake God out just is a waste of time. It's an absolute waste of time. And there are so many of us that come to church and in our relationships with God, we never get real. We never get real. It's funny, even in class today at Sunday school, we were talking about evangelism. And I was saying, one of the things that makes me sad is so many Christians don't even understand why they believe what they believe. And you know why? They're actually afraid to ask God questions. Like, they literally think there might be a question they'd ask God that he'd be like, that's a good question, I don't have an answer. Trust me, there's none of those. Any question you lay at his feet, you will only be amazed at how he's able to answer it. But the problem comes is that if you're not real and if you don't present the real things to God, He can't help you. You've got to be real. And so what you see Habakkuk doing here is you see this as a real relationship with God. What's beautiful about Habakkuk getting angry like this is you understand like he actually has a relationship with God. God to him is not some philosophy. He's not some idyllic father figure. He's a real person that he interacts with, that he talks with, that he has a relationship with, and that's why he's angry. Think, did you ever like yell at math? I hate you. Well, you did say I hate you math probably at some point. But you don't get mad at like arbitrary things. The things that you get so infuriated with are people. People that you know and that you love because you're like, "I, I don't get this. What are you doing? And so for some of us, we never get angry at God because you don't really have a relationship with God. God, they use a philosophy, a way of life, a set of rules, a 
religion that you think if you do enough good things, you'll earn credit and you'll get to go to heaven. Anger, joy, happiness, those emotions come from a real personal interaction and that's what Habakkuk has. Now let's be real. The people you love the most, they're also the ones that can make you the angriest, right? I mean husbands, right? You probably have at least like one word you could say that will set your wife off, right? Like there's a couple like, you could say like a sentence in the middle of a wonderful week and it'd be like, going to war now. Right? Because you know them that well. And from you, it means something different than from anybody else. That's how relationships work. Habakkuk has a real relationship with God. So if you're sitting there like, I've never been angry at God. I seriously can question the intimacy of your relationship with Him. I seriously question it. It's just like when I do pre-marriage counseling, if I ever sit with a couple and I'm like, so talk to me about when you guys fight. And they're like, we never fight. I'm like, you guys aren't ready to get married. In fact, it's going to be my goal between now and the wedding to get you in at least three fights. Okay? Because you need to learn to fight. All right? One of my favorite pastors told me, the key to asking someone if they want to get married is go, is this the human being that you want to argue with for the rest of your life? If the answer to that question is yes, that is the right person. And so if you don't have these moments with God, then, then you don't have a real relationship with Him. It's kind of like, have you ever noticed at work, you can walk in and have a terrible week, and the people that don't really know you, you can be like, oh yeah, everything's good. And they'll believe you. But people who really know you, they don't even ask the question, they know. My mama to this day, if I walk into the house and something's wrong, be like, Lukey, what's wrong? Don't you lie to me, boy, I see those eyes. She knows me. She knows me through and through, and that's what you want with God. And some of you, you're, not, you're settling for much less than that. The second thing that we need to understand about this that I love about being real is, I love that it's in Scripture. The reason I love that it's in Scripture is to me it's evidence that this isn't written by man. If you were a group of people sitting there going, let's create a fake religion, you would not have chapter after chapter dedicated to the people in the religion being angry at their God. You go, well, why do we want to show the ugly parts of it? But in Scripture, continually God shows this. Read the Psalms. And David comes off as bipolar. One moment, it's like, God, my shelter, my fortress, I love you. I just want to meditate in your word. And the next minute, you're my enemy, you curse me, and you hate me. Why? Because that's real relationship. That's what happens. God is calling us to be real. Look here at a couple of these words from David. Psalm 22, verses 1 through 2. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? From the words of my groaning. Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. It's a man who's anguished by what's happening in his life. But you know what? He's close enough to God to say those words. Close enough to God to say those words. Look at Job. Therefore, I will not restrain my mouth. I will speak in the anguish of my spirit. I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. God, I love you enough that I will tell you how I feel. I will tell you how I feel. Psalm 88, verses 6 through 8. David again. You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all of your waves. You have caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a horror to them. See how real that is? Like, he's not even blaming, he's not even laying the circumstances. 
at God going, hey, I'd like you to interact. He's like, God, you're responsible for these things. You did this, not me. You're not even just watching it happen. You made it happen. All throughout Scripture, you see this because it's about real relationship. If you don't talk to God like this, something's wrong in your relationship. That's the first thing I want you to see. Habakkuk is a man of God because he can sit before God and tell him what's really happening. And you know why God doesn't get angry? Because God already knows it. He already knows it. To me, it's like that test of a relationship. There are those relationships where you guys know things are wrong, but you won't talk about it. You ever been in those? You're angry at each other, you're enemies, but when you meet, it's like, oh, hey, great to see you. Yeah, everything's great. So glad you're here. And really, in your head, you're like, eh, I can't stand you. I hope you get hit by a car. Right? Those are broken, bad, terrible relationships. It's not what we want with him. Now, jump with me to verse 5. In verse 5, the Lord answers. He says, Look among the nations and see wonder and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe it if I told you. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from their selves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. The horsemen come from afar. They fly like eagles, swift to devour. And so for the rest of this passage, what God talks about is this mighty army of the Chaldeans he's raising up. Now before I talk fully about God's response, there's something that church folk just miss. We just always miss. And we always take for granted. Do you know what it is? God answered. He answered. Like this is one of those things that like, if you don't come to church, you're like, wait a minute. This guy fell upon his knees, screamed out at God, and then God spoke to him? That happens? See, if you're raising the church, you're like, oh, well, that's a Bible story. Of course it's going to be that way. That's how it goes. I mean, he's Habakkuk. He's in the Bible. He's got his own book. Of course God answers. Guess what? When Habakkuk first said this, he didn't have a book. He wasn't Habakkuk. He was just an angry prophet that no one was listening to. So you and I, we miss this sometimes. We miss that we have the opportunity to be heroes of faith just like the men and women in this Bible. And the key is they didn't know they were heroes of faith at the time. They were just living. And so Habakkuk cries out to God in real emotion, in real faith, and goes, God, where are you? What is happening? And God looks at him and goes, let me tell you. Don't take that for granted. You have a God that will respond. You have a God that will answer. You have a God that even in His almightiness, in His holiness, and in His righteousness, still cares about you. Like, do you ever just realize how small we are? Like, do you ever just get blown away by how small we are? Uh, Wednesday or Thursday, Lily was walking me around the gravesite, and I was just amazed at, like, hundreds of people who all lived lives, who all had legacies, who all had families, who all had hopes and dreams and fears and goals and probably did amazing and wondrous things. And I don't know any of them. And one day that'll be me. I'll be in the ground and there'll be billions of people who have no idea I ever existed. 
Billions of people have no idea of any of the impacts or things that I ever dealt with in my entire life were that small. And what's crazy is the world just like declares it to you. Because you know what happened? We bury our sister, and the next day, you know what happened? The world just kept going. Like the audacity. Like the sun just came back up. People just went back to work. Sports games just kept getting played. Even now, like it's funny, right? We're waiting and hoping that there's a portion of our country that survives this horrific storm. Most of the rest of the country is just living life. Ordering pizza and hoping that the you know, Cowboys win. It's the audacity of life is that we're just so small. And then when you think about God and how big He is, the creator of the universe... The one that simply says, let there be light and the sun appears. And that that God would look at something so small as you and I and go, I'm listening. I hear you. In fact, I know intimately everything that's happening in your life. I'm obsessed with what is happening to you. How amazing is that? We take that for granted so often that our God actually loves us and cares about us. Why? Because we're His children. He is not the God that created the universe, set it aside, and then just watches. He's passionately interactive in it day in and day out, more so than you and I could ever imagine. He's intimately involved in our lives. And that I can have the faith, that I have a God that I can call to, and I can actually expect an answer, is amazing. Let me just give you one footnote on that. If you're sitting there and you're going, I, I've never heard him speak back, I challenge you, you haven't listened enough. Amen. I always remember as a kid, the first time I heard God speak, I was like, I was so excited. I was so excited, I'm like, so crazy that he would speak back on this. And I was talking to my dad about it, and he's like, have you ever intently listened to him like you did this time? And I was like, no, not really. Oh, that's weird. He's like, it's not really weird. The first time you actually listened, he spoke. Maybe if you'd been listening more, you'd have heard him speak more. And it was funny because it was the first time in my life I had seriously prayed, and my prayer was so short, and then for hours, I just sat there and said, I'm not moving until I hear you. And what I realized about all the rest of my prayers in life had been it'd be like me coming to God going, God, here's everything that's happening. Here's all the problems. I need to bail you out. Okay, I'm going to sleep now. If you want to send some solutions my way, I'd really appreciate that. And what you realize about it, how silly is that? It's like calling mom and dad for help. You tell them the problems, and right when they're about to give you the answer, you hang up the phone. And they go, man, they were no help. Like, yeah, because you shut the phone off. You stopped listening. Some of you haven't heard God speak because you don't ever shut up enough to let him speak. The whole time you're talking, it's just you. Be quiet. That's why he says, be still and know that I am God. You have a God that answers. Now, this isn't unusual to just Habakkuk. Look at Exodus 3, 7 and 8. This is when God comes to Moses. He says, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Now, what's important for us when we look at something like that is to understand, again, God's ways are higher than ours. Because in Him, hearing that, there were Israelites whose whole entire lives were in slavery. There's Israelites whose whole entire lives were in pain and suffering as servants in Egypt. 
God's point to him is, I didn't ignore it. I know I didn't act the way you wanted. But don't act like I didn't know. You may not understand why I waited. You may not understand why it took so much time. But don't ever think I didn't care. I saw, I heard, I suffered there with you. I was with you in that. It's important for us to understand that because there's a difference between us not liking the way he acts and him just being ignorant of what is happening. He is never, ever ignorant of what you're going through. Never. Another one that always strikes me is in Genesis chapter 21. In Genesis 21, we see much earlier before Israel is really formed as a nation, Abraham has messed up. He was promised this great uh, great nation through his children, but he can't have a kid with Sarah. So what do they do? They try to cheat the system. They go take Hagar, one of her servants, and they say, you know what, have a baby with her, and maybe that will give you your children. So they do that. He has a son named Ishmael. But then later, God actually comes through, and he gives Isaac. And what happens is God's sitting there, or Abraham's sitting there, and now he's got these two kids, and he's got these two women fighting with each other. And eventually, he puts one of them out. Back then, you put someone out, you're just basically killing them. A woman by herself with a child, separated from a family, in those days, they're dead. And there's this beautiful encounter that happens between God and Hagar, where she's at her wit's end. It's almost over. She goes out, her child's crying, she lays him behind a tree and walks a distance away because she doesn't want to watch him die. And then she herself starts crying. Kind of reminds me of any mother that you've seen in a minivan with toddlers for many hours. Both of them are just weeping. She says, let me not look on the death of the child. And as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the boy. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Even the orphan boy starving, about to die in the middle of the wilderness, God hears. Don't fool yourself into thinking you have to be somebody important for him to listen to you. He could care less about the titles of the world. He could care less about the importance that the world gives you. He is listening to us all because we're all his children. Now, that's the good news. The good news is, is you can be real with God and he will listen. The part we don't like is what happens in verses 6 through 11. So in verses 6 through 11, kind of, kind of listen to what's happened here, right? So back it goes, God, where are you? You're letting your people be hurt. Everywhere I look, there's idolatry. There's violence. There's, there's pain. There's suffering. Act. And God goes, Habakkuk, I hear you. I am acting. And in fact, son, I am doing things so wondrous, you wouldn't even believe me if I told you. Now that part, if the message just stopped there, Habakkuk like, great, awesome. You hear me, you're acting, and in fact, what you're doing is greater than anything I could ever imagine. It's the following parts where God explains what he's doing that Habakkuk goes, wait a minute, what? See, his complaint is, my nation Israel is divided and hurting. Raise us back up. And he goes, I am. I'm going to send the Chaldeans your way. He's like, the Chaldeans? Those pagans? They're worse than us. 
And they're violent murderers. Have you been paying attention to what they're doing? And God goes, yes, I have been. In fact, I'm going to use them. Because the way I'm going to get you guys back is I'm going to punish you for what you've done, which will shake your nation to its core, make you realize that you're sinners and you need to repent. You'll come back to me, and then don't worry, I'll take care of the Chaldeans. And at that point, I'm back, and he's like, wait a minute. That's not exactly what I wanted. That's, that's not the plan I had. I was kind of expecting you'd show up go, I hear you. I'm going to raise up a new king like Josiah. He's going to reestablish Israel as the prominent nation in the land, and everybody's going to live in peace and happiness forever. Wasn't God's plan. And so this is where that faith thing comes into mind. Be real with God, talk to God, and know He'll listen, but also know His solutions aren't your solutions. To be honest, it's why I think so many people in America are falling away from Christianity. We have turned Christianity into our country into God bless my will. It's never meant to be that. It's supposed to be God show me your will and I will serve it. There's a huge difference between those two. You going, God, here's my dream and my wish. Please use your magic powers to make it happen. Is not you serving God. That's you acting like you have a genie who's going to make your things happen for you, and you think you can get him to do that because you're manipulating him with good behavior. Well, God, I go to church. Well, God, I give. Well, God, I, I serve. God, I go to Sunday school. God, I was really nice to that neighbor I don't like. I mean, surely that's worth you making some of these things on my wish list happen. Right? In fact, have you ever found yourself bargaining with God? If you'll just make this happen, I won't miss Sunday school except for when the Cowboys play the yearly games. That's it. I'll be at the rest of them. Right? You start doing these exchanges with them. Like, you think that's how it works? Like, he's like, okay, yeah, regular Sunday school attendance. That's worth a couple wishes. I'll make that happen for you. That's how it works. But people, they think that's how it works, and so they're confused. Like, man, I keep going to church, and like, my dreams just to keep not happening. So why am I doing this? And guys, like, you don't get it. It's not about your wishes. It's about my will. It's about you being subservient to it. Why? Because you trust that my will is better than yours. And frankly, I think that's the beauty of getting older. The older I get, the happier I am when my plans don't come through. Because frankly, if any of my plans had come through, I wouldn't be standing here, I wouldn't be married to the woman I have, I wouldn't have the children that I have. And most of the things that bring me joy day in and day out, I would not know. Because my plans stunk. His was way better. So I've reached a point in my life where I'm perfectly fine not having a plan. I've reached a point where I'm like, hey, you're driving, Lord. Just give me enough road signs that I know which direction to go. And I'll go. I always get it. I don't always understand it. But you've proven to me that it will work out. That's what we have to have. The hard part is, is that sometimes his plan is so big, so magnificent, so wonderful and so beyond us, we don't get it. And the problem that we really miss is we don't have eternal perspective. See, a lot of us, we look at the dark pain we go through on a day-to-day basis and go, the best thing that could ever happen is if this would go away. And what some of us don't understand is God goes, no, you don't get it. If I didn't give you this pain, you'd never fall down before me. If I didn't give you this pain, the arrogance that you would have in life would be such that you would never come to know my kingdom. 
Sometimes those very things that you're wishing you never had are actually the best things that have ever happened to you because they bring you closer to God and He is ultimately what you need. And see, what you have to remember about God is He's going, guys, you're worried about like the 60, 70, 80 years you have here. I'm working for 300 trillion years from now. I'm working for eternity. And guess what? In 300 trillion years from now, you're not going to go, that September 10th stunk. I'm really still angry about what happened September 10th, 2017. No, after 300 years of perfection, you're going to be like, I'm, I don't even really remember that. And if that's what he needed to do to get me here, thank you, God. Thank you, God. And so what Habakkuk is going to deal with in the rest of this and what we're going to focus next week is how can God, who is so good and so righteous, have a plan that makes so little sense to us? And how do we, in faith, listen to that plan and go, I submit to it. I don't like it. I don't get it. But God, I trust you. That's what we have to remember. We have to be real with God. We have to know that God listens, and then we've got to remember, you're not God. Amen. You're not God. And so you've got to be okay sometimes being in the back seat. You don't get to pick where you're going. That's the journey we're on. And to be honest, if you're not interested in that, you're in the wrong place. Some people are coming to church thinking they're just going to learn how to drive better. You're not learning to drive better. You're learning not to drive at all. Amen. You're learning to be a passenger along the journey with God. And that is the key. As we go into our time of prayer, what I'm going to encourage you is, as you talk to God, please be real. There are some of you who the best person you lie to is yourself. You've created all kinds of justifications. You've created all kinds of false logic. You've created all kinds of facades for yourself to say, yeah, I'm right. Yeah, I'm good. Yeah, I have a good relationship. Everything's fine. And the reality is they're all lies. Some of you need to get face-to-face with God and just bear your heart. Just bear your soul. Because here's the biggest thing. He tells us, He sent His Son, not for the healthy, but for the sick. If you won't go to the doctor's office... It doesn't matter if he has the cure. Because you're not there. The reason I always like to say this is just a room full of sinners is is because the only people who need a Savior are sinners. Any fool who can look in the mirror and think he's righteous enough to be holy, he'll go, I don't need you, Jesus. Amen. So I never want to forget that I'm a sinner why I never want to stop preaching about sin. It's not because I want you to hear about it and go, oh, that stinks. I feel bad now. No, I want to preach about sin so that you go, you're right, I am a sinner. That is a problem. It is wreaking havoc in my life. God, I need you. God, I need you. That's why we can't lose these things. So as Maria comes up and as we go to a time of prayer, I just ask you, go to God and be real. Lay out bearing to Him the things that are really on your hearts and that you're really feeling. Let's stand and let's go to the Lord in prayer.